This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Tuesday, May 8th, 2018. That means it's Google I.O. Day 1. And I'm here with Michael Josh of Gadget Match. It's the end of the day, actually. Yes. And we're going to tell you everything we saw at Google I.O. Thanks so much for having me. It's been Thanks a long day, but on. there's a lot to talk about. Absolutely. And so what's super exciting to me is not only are we going to talk about I.O., but you have a G7 review unit. Mm-hmm. And mine is in the mail. I just got confirmation of the tracking number. So, you know, I don't have as much to say about about it as you do, but I'd love to talk about it. And some reviews have been published already in Gadget and a few others. So I, I would love to hear your take. We talked about it last podcast with my guest, but I want to hear your take. So, uh, you know, LG, the the expectations aren't as high uh, for, uh, for for me, at least, uh, where, where I'm concerned. You know, I, I know they make great phones, but, you know, they've had some flaws over the last few years and they haven't really blown me away. And I think the G7 may not be super spectacular, but what I wrote in my hands-on that it ticks off all the boxes. And they really have, you know, really gone back to building a phone that focused on fundamentals. So, you know, it looks good. It, you know, it has, it does most of the things that we want it to do. And they've really improved the camera. And I've used it. Uh, I was in I was in a short holiday in Venice Beach, uh-huh. so I took a lot of photos over the last four or five days, and the photos have come out really really well, even the low light photos. Yeah, and that's you know I think that's the takeaway for me is that I I think there's a lot of disappointment in the initial hands on publications. Yeah, and you know we we did talk about it last week. Um, you know, Narav was on my show, and you know we felt like it was very meh, but I don't want. People to the reason I think it's meh is simply because where can you go today, right? Like it's really hard. Exactly. And and there's a few key little things that I feel that LG did to hit a price point, probably to satisfy the carriers, not because LG is trying to be cheap, right? But the US carriers, you know, are a real pain in the in the butt. Yeah. So I think that that's why we're seeing maybe just four gigs of RAM. And the 3,000 milliamp hour battery, which seems to be a little bit on the low side, I think that's a combination of them needing extra space for that sound, that that speaker system, right? right? They needed a bit of a cavity in there. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's in part because it's cheaper. And so, you know, carriers, I mean, I have a feeling we don't know the price yet. Like, it's funny that reviews are out, we don't know the price yet. Right, which is why I haven't also put out my review uh, yet. Yeah, exactly. So I think... I wouldn't be surprised if it comes in at around six fifty US. I think that's a good price for and it. And honestly, if you look at the the new one plus, whenever it's coming, is probably gonna be around, I figure less than six hundred, probably five fifty-ish. Um, and it's similar in specs. I mean it has more RAM. Uh probably, I mean, we can assume it's eight gigs, right? Yes. Uh but I think I think that you know that's kind of the niche product that you can't get on a CDMA carrier, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's not gonna be as mainstream, but Considering how expensive the splashes have become, six fifty is actually a pretty decent it price. And decent if you look price. at what you're getting for that kind of money, mm-hmm. I think the G7 is spot on. An affordable flagship. And I think for most, I mean, us techies, and sometimes I think you raise a really good point. Us techies, us tech journalists, partly it's our fault because we, we look for the hype. We look for the yeah. excitement. We need something to talk about, to write about. But when you really think about it, 
uh, how we really set our expectations too high, so much so that we're like, meh, it's, it's just a boring phone. Um, I said the same thing about the S9. I called it boring. and But at the same time, I do think there is space for an affordable flagship because for most users, they're not willing to spend $800 to $1,000 on a smartphone, even if it's subsidized with a, 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 a carrier plan. I agree 100%. Yeah. The thing to me that that makes the G7 probably, I mean, I haven't played with it, but you've already talked about the camera, is that I think a lot of people are often not seeing how good LG's cameras are. Right. Like, I, I think they're not nearly as foolproof as an iPhone or a Galaxy, like, or a Pixel where you just mash the button and magic happens, right? But I think that the customizability of it, especially for video recording and stuff, a lot of people just don't seem to like take that into account. A lot of a lot of my friends love the wide angle feature, and if you're traveling, it's nice to be able to have uh, your regular shot, but also a really wide angle shot. And I think that's they're the only ones. I mean, Moto they're, did the wide angle on the I think the X4 last last year, but they were like it was a one off thing. There are hardly Whereas any. Yeah. Every LG since the G5 has had the wide angle right. in some way or another, and I think that's a huge feature. I actually was I'm a you know. I knew it wasn't going to happen with the G7, but if I had to make my ideal smartphone from LG, I would want three lenses, a tele, which they don't have, right. a regular, and the wide angle. Right. And that would be kind of the killer combo for I me. I was hoping for that, actually, yeah, in the P20. But I didn't when think I, yeah. it was going to happen with the yeah. G7. Oh, for the P20, you Right, when, they, yeah, when I saw yeah, three, yeah, cameras, three cameras. Because yeah. we've been talking for the longest time. We yeah. do want zoom. We do want yeah. ultra-wide angle. Totally. So I think, honestly, I think that, that that's kind of like... I think people are going to be happy with the camera. Yes. And and it's gotten much better in auto mode from my little bit of time that I spent with it. Yeah, we were out drinking. Um, Joshua and I, uh, Vergara of Android Authority, we were out uh, at this, you know, really dim, uh, chill bar. Mm -hmm. And we took a lot of, like, low-light photos, and they, they turned out pretty well. And the selfie camera, which was a big pain point uh, on the V30, is pretty decent now, so it's it's usable. Um, so I, I think it's they're binning they're binning pixels, they're right? They're binning pixels for the low light shots, right? Um, and so I did shoot like this really low light shot last night, um, and they came out pretty well. So I'm happy. I think for for the most part, if it's a photo that you can post on social media and that you'll be happy with sharing, I think that's a sign of a good camera yeah no i agree and i think the, the fact that the sensor as you, you know as you kind of implied on the wide angle is the same as the sensor on the main camera means you're going to get better photos from the wide angle no mm -hmm. matter what right. and it was never terrible right. but um you know it's a little bit more limited in low light because f over 1.9 although that's pretty good for a wide angle but it's not as good as f over 1.6 right. because main, as a user right? you shouldn't have to worry about this no, right you shouldn't have to worry about if it if you give me two cameras i just want to i'll choose whatever fits yeah. the purpose and the quality should be the same absolutely yeah so i think i think people from my bit of experience and based on my past experience with g6 and v30 and prior lg phones i think there's a lot of quality to be extracted from that camera and perhaps lg's finally made it a bit more mashable you know button mashable proof right and i'm not still not convinced on the ai mode i don't know how much you've shot neither on the AI neither mode, am i um, but i've turned it off on my p20 pro for example because it's just i just 
It's just useless. I don't think I need it. I don't uh, need it and because it complicates I, if I things. really want to make it a little more fancy and more personalized, I'll I'll much rather use the vivid mode on the P20 Pro. To mm -hmm. be honest with you, right? Uh, or uh, manual controls if I really wanted to play with things, right? Then then the AI and and I think it's because I'm an experienced photographer like you are. But I think for a lot of people, I'm, the AI might come in handy, right? Um, I do think that this this low light mode, which is new to the G7, the binning part on the main camera, is I think is going to be Pretty pretty good for a lot of people. Yeah, I I didn't really know. use the AI mode much. Uh, in fact, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I basically ignored it most of the time. Uh, yeah, it is what it is. I, I think most people are not gonna. I'm gonna leave it on. I'm gonna be happy. But I think that if the nice thing is you can grow with that camera, right? Because if you want to apply the filters, you can still do that yeah. in post, right? When you're on Instagram, pick a filter. So it's not necessarily game changing. Yeah. Dramatically improving the quality of the photos you take. If if that were the case, then I'd you know I would dive in to and to use AI. It's just sad because that is a big talking point of the phone itself. It's it's a it's a big marketing. I mean the branding itself, LG G7 ThinQ. Yeah, um, right. So I don't like that name they, at all. Yeah. I mean, I know it's their AI branding, but I just don't understand like why they picked such a goofy name. And now they're putting on everything from fridges to phones. But you know, I like I like the fact that the G7 is one of those phones that I think it hits all the basics very well. Is especially if it's in the price range we expect, it's gonna be a pretty good choice for, especially for people who are, you know, I said on CDMA networks or are just more comfortable walking to a carrier store rather than buying something online from OnePlus or whatever. And they'll be well served and they'll spend less money than a Galaxy and still get a really good right. phone. It will be an easy phone to recommend. And it's a phone that can grow with them because, you know, maybe they'll use AI at first on the camera and then they'll turn it off and start using some of the more advanced features. And who knows, maybe they'll become vlogger pros and use the manual mode for video, right? right. Which is on there. Uh, and I think, you know, they have all these options with audio. There is a decent sounding speaker. Pretty, it's, it's, it's loud. It's very and clear. clear. That's mm -hmm. the biggest thing. I think loud is fine. Lots of people have done loud, but clear and loud is much harder. I mean, the Zenfone 5, you were at the briefing MWC yes. with me, right? Yes. Where they were going on about how the speaker is so loud. But yeah. honestly, to me, it sounded like crap. It's like, loud, but not, not clear. Not clear. Right? The quality isn't great. Yeah. And so with the G7, we've got, you know, the quad DAC, we've got 3.5 millimeter, we've got optics. HD and a bunch of other codecs. It has a lot going you for know, it. You uh, know, yeah. so again, people can choose their level of audio performance that they want, whether it's listening through Bluetooth or going all out with some fancy headphones and it can grow with them. And the display, you know, I am prefer OLED, honestly, but I have to say that is one of the nicest LCD panels. It's a bright LCD. And it's it not really just the brightness. It's just, I think it's, it's good. Yeah. And it's quad HD, which you don't get that much right now. A lot of the flagships... Like OnePlus has been doing, and I don't know if they're going to do that again with the 6, but, um, you know, they've done 1080p, Huawei's done 1080p. It's really only like Pixel, uh, Samsung, and LG that are, you know, doing quad HD displays. Right. And I don't think most people can tell the difference. Yeah, but, I don't think they will. But I they... do think that, you know, it's nice, it's nice to know that you've got that extra resolution. A good display is always important for me. And sometimes you may not notice it, but it's it's what you look at. It's what you look at when you take and you yeah. lift up your phone. So yeah. pe people deserve a good display on and, a phone. And I think another thing that I think people are gonna start to love on this phone, and I fell in love just in a few minutes I had it, was the Google Assistant button. Yeah. Because look, seeing, you know, I'm not gonna say it because I don't want everybody to yeah. trigger, but seeing the trigger word for, for Google Assistant yes. um, is, 
um, nice, but sometimes you just need to push a button. And squeezing the phone has just never done it with me. Um, I still haven't enabled my Pixel because I'm hoping that eventually I'll get comfortable with it. The reality is that I should just turn it off because most of the time when it happens, it's because I don't want it to. And when I do want it, I don't get it. And it's just a bad idea. I I'm not saying that, you know, having a phone that can detect squeezes is necessarily a bad thing, but I'm not sure we found a use case. It seems, I felt it was gimmicky when the U11 introduced it, yeah. and I still feel it's gimmicky on the Pixel. Agreed. And I think having a hard button, you know, I wish it was reprogrammable, but at least you can turn it off, and it's way better than a Bixby button, right? It is. Uh, Google, I mean, I'm a fan of Google Assistant. That's my personal assistant of choice. I mean, but also just having to not force another another unpolished unfinished personal assistant on us right but giving us a robust personal assistant that works uh, and not having to reinvent the wheel like you don't have to make one just use what's already out there and i think this I whole ai machine learning space it needs to stay open because you need input from all these third parties uh if you try to cloak uh, create this closed system uh, that's your own. It's. I don't think you're going to be able to survive this space. I mean, I honestly feel like I know it's not going to happen. And I, you know, I have an iPhone 10, and I and I think it's a great phone. But I honestly feel like Siri is a waste of my time. Yeah. And I, I wish that Apple would allow you to just to, to just replace it with whatever right. assistant, even if it's Alexa, for example. But actually, what I would have loved too is like in the spirit of openness, maybe they gave us an option to for those people who do like Alexa. To use that as yeah, the personal that would be assistant, nice. right? Which um, HTC did on the U11, right. which was kind of cool. Right. Um, so anyway, overall, you know, just one more thing: the battery. Yeah. Um, even if it's three thousand, at I least mean, in my fine, one week right? of use, I've been able to last a whole day and then some. So it's not that bad. I mean, my guess was going to be that you're going to be able to run a day, no problem. But it wasn't quite going to live up to. The, you know the S9 Plus and the, the Huawei. And the, well, the Huawei's are a whole different ball yeah, game because their batteries are much bigger. Yeah. But I'm talking like Pixel 2 XL. Yeah. Um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see what OnePlus does there with their battery size because yeah. they've always been a little on the skimpy side. Mm -hmm. And I've actually I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being better than the LG because this really three thousand is is it's not a lot. Small it's not today. A lot. It's not very generous. Action. Yeah. So I think you know there is some reasons to be potentially negative in the sense that we don't know the price yet right and we i do feel four gigs a little bit low for flagship today now i understand that samsung has a four gig flagship with the basic s9 so again the v series is more like the higher end version so maybe i should look at you know yeah at forward to the whatever the v40 or the v35 whatever it is it's called brings to the table but i feel like um there is some reasons to be concerned and the colors, the blue one and the pink one, I, are really gorgeous in the sun, it turns out. In the sun. I saw the raspberry rose uh, up close today. I have the Moroccan blue one. Uh, in the sun, it looks pretty cool. It, right now, in the dark, it's a little bit... Uh, yeah. It's interesting, you know, because I felt at the briefing, you we, you actually were at the SF briefing too. Yes. Because you're not based in San Francisco, no. so it was kind of cool to see you there. Uh, and I felt like it was... Very meh, the design. Like, not nothing wrong with it. It's a because nice... Because we were shooting the, the gray, yeah, silver... Yeah, the gray and the yeah. black one. So it's, it's you know, it's... it's um 
it's an evolution of the G6 design and a bit of a blend between the V30 and the G6, yes, right? Yes. And those are not ugly phones, and I think they're fine. Yeah. But it doesn't stand out. It seemed pretty generic in design, and I think that's simply because they didn't really let us handle the blue and the pink as much, and we certainly didn't take them outsize because today at Google I.O. in the sun, there were a lot of LG G7 from the various reviewers, yes. and the, the pink rose red one the and this rose, blue, yeah. Moroccan blue looked awesome in daylight. Yep. Like that really suddenly stood out, kind of like the Huawei P20's uh, uh, twilight, twilight color, color. stands yeah. out. And, and so maybe, maybe, we were a little too harsh on the mad boring design because yeah, in I mean, the end, with the right color, this phone actually looks okay. Even the silver one that we shot in San Francisco, I think for the most, because I had a silver V30 as well, I think we, we really like the V30's design. Yeah. And I think, you know, having seen LG's design evolution over the last few years, the experiments, the uh, oh all sorts God, the of, G5, yeah, the G5, the so G5, um, it's nice of them to kind of find a sweet spot which they feel is their signature look and kind of stay in that realm of design. Yeah, and, and I think, it, I think it's you can't be critical of the fact, like, the other thing is, like, how can you radically reinvent a smartphone today? I mean, yeah, this phone has everything in it that's, you know, the latest thing, like a notch, for better or for worse, you can turn it off. It, you know, it has all the, it, it checks all the boxes yeah. in terms even of design, yeah. like glass sandwich, yep. cool color schemes. Yep. Uh, so Feels what, good I mean, too. So what else can you ask for? Like, yep. I, I think people had these weird expectations of LG, but I think it's also LG's doing. You see, they remember to uh, kind of showed people behind closed doors at MWC, the G, yeah. the, what was a prototype of the G7. Yes. And they said that the messaging was, you know, we're rethinking what the G7 is going to be. And so that's why we haven't launched it yet. Right. So I think a lot of us were like, okay, they, they decided to, you know, really break away right. from the past here somehow. Right. And then we get this, which is totally not that. It's totally right. like an evolution of their design language right. and, their, and the specs we expect. So I think that they shot themselves in the foot um, Maybe there was something lost in translation in the execution of their message there. But I'm looking forward to what they're doing with the next V-Series. I hope they do a V-Series, and I hope it's three cameras. I hope it has a tele, a regular, and a wide. And I hope that, you know, uh, they they push the envelope maybe with a, the display by going double notch or something crazy like that, <laughs> you know? And, or maybe do, do a notch like the iPhone where the bottom does not have a chin at all right. because their chin is very small on the G7 but every Android phone with a notch has a bit of a chin and yeah. I just don't understand why Apple can make one without because a Apple chin has that while they have display money display that curves underneath exactly but, but but LG makes displays come on guys right. like you know so I'm kind of hoping they can wow us a little more with the, the V40 or V35 or whatever and you know give us more RAM, a bigger battery. Right. And, and I think that's and, what the trend's going to be. So the V will be the showcase of what they can do, priced a little bit more, more because it costs yeah. more. And the G will and be the G mainstream. more mainstream product, which is, yeah. The, yeah. And I think that's kind and of is, where, yeah. that's where it's at, really. Yeah, I think it's where they need to be as well. I think for LG to stay alive and to stay relevant, I think they did a good job this year. I think it's okay. Yeah. Um, and so that brings us to IO. I think I want to talk about it more. We have a lot of little topics to yes. cover. We've got about 18 minutes in the show. So we've got about 45 minutes to go. And I think there's enough topics to fill those 45 minutes. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, what do you want to start with? Let's talk about Android P. I think that's probably the biggest one, right? Mm -hmm. So what's your take? I mean, well, there's a lot of stuff we knew about because there was already a, an alpha version out there that people were using. 
We've and we can now talk about it uh, in detail more because the uh, beta the beta was is announced available. today. It was yeah. it was dropped today, and it's pretty interesting because not just for Pixel phones, there was a whole range of yeah, including the upcoming OnePlus. Yep. OnePlus, Oppo, Oppo, Vivo, Vivo, Nokia. Thank you. Uh, one uh, more uh, essential. An essential. Which is really cool. So if you have any of those phones, you, all you have to do is to go to android.com slash beta to see if your phone is one of those Supported, phones that can yeah. get that update. But uh, we immediately downloaded uh, I know the everybody. update onto I our phones <laughs> today. I, I, up, I, I installed it on my Pixel, so I also had some time to, to play around with it. Um, so what's your takeaway? Um, I think there are a lot of really nice, nifty uh, things going on to make it easier for you to, to, to use your phone. I really like this feature where uh, you can uh, just, they call it slices. Uh-huh. And um, some apps, for example, the demo that we shot, we, that they showed me today was the Lyft app. So from search, you know, a lot of times we just, that's the first thing we're, when we're looking for something, we just type in uh, the name of an app. I do that a lot. I don't even look for it anymore. You type in Lyft and instead of just seeing the app icon, you can also get certain slices of actions I that see. you can do. So uh, if it, it knows, uh, you can say book a lift to home, book a lift to work. And so you, it's just you can quickly dive into the tasks that you need to do. So I think I, I do like that. It's simplifying um, the tasks that we do on a regular basis, yep. not having to dive into too many menus, pressing a lot of buttons, saving time. Um, that was really good. Um, uh, in terms of actions, uh, the phone is supposed to be smart enough to figure out what actions you're about to do I next. See. That, that, if it works, that, that's, that sounds pretty cool. And there's some nice interface changes. Some will say for sure. I can, I can, I can hear them now. Uh, uh similar, uh, they copied the iPhone. I'm sure <laughs> because there's this, you know how on the iPhone you can swipe, uh, from left to right to sw switch between yeah, open yeah. apps. So you can kind of do that now. So the multitasking uh, window looks a little bit iPhone-esque because instead of, you know how back uh, right now you, you kind of just scroll through them like a list of vertically, cards yeah, vertically, right, yeah. so this is but like you don't really see what's in the app. Yeah. Now they're all, they're still vertical, but you, you swipe from left to right. Well, that's what I mean. You, and you, you can swipe see vertically them. and you swipe sideways. Yes, and you yeah. can see the whole app. Um, it's interesting because the, the yeah, they're, they're no longer snapshots of the app the app is almost like it's almost like the palm pre back in the day where the app is kind of running yeah and you can see it run um i'm excited about the gestures because honestly that's one of my favorite things on the iphone 10 yeah and so far i think you know this is a little lower you know lower quality in terms of execution and fluidity of the experience yeah but um, at the, um, you know, I, I, I got to see, I'm, I'm not going to get into detail, but I got to see a newer version of that. Yeah. Um, and I can't say how, but I did and it felt much smoother. So there's some improvements that are going to be coming to right. this gesture system right. in terms of its uh, execution so that it's closer to what we've, you know, experienced with Apple and, and honestly, Apple nailed it. I, I feel yeah. that part of the reason to me, I never want to go back to an iPhone with a home button now after using an iPhone 10 is because the gestures are so like the, it just feels so natural. Right. And you, 
it's almost like muscle memory. Right. I was going to say. Within seconds. Well, the, the issue there, too, is that uh, for most users, it may be a, a little bit complicated because you're going to have to relearn certain things. Right. Because even today, I was like, oh, I was I was swiping. I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. It wasn't doing exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, and that was the same experience with the iPhone. I think yeah. muscle memory, it took a few days for, yeah. before muscle memory kicked but in. But you can turn it off, right? Right. You can so turn you it can off. So you can go back to the regular buttons. And to be clear, the the little kind of like pill shaped bar at the bottom, uh, which is the gesture area, is complemented by a back button. You need a back button for Android, so yeah. there's a back button on the left of it, and it's turned off by default. Ah, the back so button when we is off. By uh, no, 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 the the pill shaped button, button, which you use to swipe between open apps. Um, we were looking for it, and we thought our beta was was not working properly. But apparently, you have to go in, you have and, to go turn in and turn it on, turn it on, and turn it on. Yeah, um, but. Give I always say when they roll out a new feature, give it a shot. You know, deal with yeah. the pain for the first few days because it's it's there for a purpose. Yeah, absolutely. and once you get the hang of it, um, so I really like that. I'm gonna take it for a spin because I like it on the iPhone, and I also feel like, um, you know, I've tried it, and yeah, it's not quite as slick as the iPhone, but it's definitely slicker than, for example, I feel than the the One Plus implementation that they had. I think on the their beta on the five T or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's definitely a big change. Uh, interestingly enough, one of the other rumors that Android P would supposedly bring and we would hear potentially at I.O. was the notch support, but they never mentioned anything about nope. notch support. Nope. Uh, which is really interesting. But the gestures was a rumor that came to be, you know, very clearly true. Uh, and I think it's done right. It's done pretty well. Um, and then, of course, you talked about the slices and a bunch of the other features. Um, what other what other things? There's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff. You know, there was a word that was repeated over and over um, by Sundar Pichai himself, digital well-being. Oh, right. And I and and they basically talk about it as one of the pillars of Android P. And it's very interesting because basically it's just a new way of, of thinking, right? Because uh, you want to be able to... Uh, we, we are so tied to our devices um, that, and we use these devices as tools for every day, but they want you to be able to... The same device that sucks you in is able to kind of help you strike that balance so that you also live in the real world and, right. and have a, a real good life as well outside of the technology of the technology space. Yeah, so so a lot of, of features there. Yeah, some of the things that they talked about was you can tell Google Assistant when you want to go to bed yeah. and like some time before that it uh, goes into do not disturb All right, automatically. So they call it wind down mode. Wind down, yeah. Yes. Um, and then there was uh, and, it, and it goes black and white, right? It goes black and screen, white so that so it doesn't stimulate your brain. Yeah. Maybe turn you off from using to, from watching a YouTube video. Um, that what, was cool. What else? What else was there? There's part a, of a shush audience? feature, uh -huh. which is also like do not disturb. But if you turn your phone around, oh, that's right, on the table, um, it won't vibrate. Notifications won't come in for that period, um, unless you set you know an emergency contact. Yeah, and it's cool because you don't have to any you don't have to manage do not disturb anymore. You don't have to turn it on or off. You just flip your phone over, yeah, uh, with face down, so glass down, and boom, you're done for a while. There's also the Android dashboard, 
And what I really like about it is, you know how when you have kids and you limit their time and their apps that set that so that basically after their one hour of computer or internet use is is over, the phone just deactivates. Yeah. yeah. Um. So there's this feature now almost uh for 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 adults <laughs> and for us to say, hey, um, I'm only going to spend maybe I have a game that I like to play. You know, I, I'm only gonna I only can I I'll give myself an hour a day. Uh, yeah. And when your hour is up, it'll tell you. And then the app will just go grayscale. It'll still work, but it's it's kind of remind. It'll kind of remind you. Okay, that you're done for the day. You're you? qu- you've hit your quota for the day. I think. I mean, I think it's going to be useful to some people, and I f- I feel it's cool that they spend the time and energy, and it seems to be really well thought out, mm-hmm. which I think is really nice. The user experience seems to be solid. I personally, you know, have no trouble with putting my phone away whenever I need to put my phone away. So. I'm not sure I would benefit and 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 I'm always asking myself how can people not have the discipline to just say I'm going to bed now I'm I sorry it's hard for you it's hard for me I I spend sometimes two three hours awake still even when I'm exhausted when you're exhausted um and so it's at the at the end of the day it's all a personal choice for sure uh and you know it's just nice that you know they're pushing it's Almost nice. a revolution yeah. of some sort. It's nice to have tools to, to help, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? Let's see. We've talked about so some of the core Android P features. So we talked about the gestures, mm-hmm. uh, digital well-being. Those are the big, I think, the big pillars mm-hmm. of P, so, right? So, yeah, intelligence, simplicity, Digi- and digital well-being. Digital well-being. Uh, in terms of intelligence, uh, there's also, we didn't talk about the adaptive battery. All right. And adaptive brightness. These are features that we've seen on a lot of from a lot of smart Android smartphone manufacturers, but it's nice for it to be built into the operating system. Um, so using machine learning, it can optimize app, you know, app usage, how much apps drain energy, which which apps they open. But I mean, we've we've seen these features. Huawei but they, they, does. Yeah, but they've been add-ons like this is in the OS yes. now, which is great. And I think the the the. Takeaway for me was, you know, the, the the thing I thought was really cool is that it'll detect apps that seem to be overusing certain features yeah. and kind of like limit their uh, access so that your battery doesn't go cray cray. Yeah. And stuff like that, I think it's cool. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how much of an, f- an impact it has for the average user yeah. on their battery life with that, with the same device. I right. think it'll be that's what I'm looking forward to seeing in the most. And we should really, I mean, it'll probably go out of beta, what, in the August or something like it always does, right? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see um, to see how, how it pans out. Yeah. But anything that gives us more battery life, I'm in. Especially since battery technology has not improved. Uh, Especially since LG put a 3,000 milliamp hour battery in the Samsung with G7. their battery capacity, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I was like... Sure, optimization is great, but give me both, right? right give me optimization and a bigger battery. Those two put together will give me a really long battery, the, suppose, I mean, theoretically. Yeah. The P20 Pro now has a 4,500 milliamp hour battery yeah. with this technology. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's basically one one last thing mm-hmm. uh, before we move on. Uh, Android P, um, I was... I, we're still guessing, right? They did not announce a name. The name? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about they that. They didn't announce a name. But I was... One year ago, we were here at the press room uh, at Google I.O. 
And, you know, there are a lot of snacks, you know, scattered around. And there were just tons of Oreo. And I think for a lot of us, uh, last year we were like, is this a clue? Is this a clue? And we joked about it. I even did a video. And a lot of us were saying, you know, maybe with because there's just so much Oreo everywhere, it's going to be called Oreo. And it did. It so did today, happen. first thing I did at the press uh, at the press room, I went through all the snacks looking for clues, anything that was pee. And you sure enough, one. I did find something, dried pineapple. So maybe it will be called. And then the funny thing is the label says fruit for thought. Yeah, I know. So I was like, hmm, I know. trying to, or is that a hint? Will it be pineapple? If that, is, if that ends up being a hint, that's a really, really clever little Easter egg that right? they threw on us. Yes, because fruit for thought. I know. And, you know, pineapple, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, there's all I kinds of thoughts. Whether it's parfait is one. Peppermint. Peppermint. Yeah, there's a lot of options, actually, this Man. time around. But, I mean, I would love to hear what, I mean, what people think uh, or people want Android P to be, to be yeah. called. I don't know. I mean, what's, you know, they're already at P. It's going to take a few more years, but we're going to be at the end very soon. Mm -hmm. And some of those... Pastries are going to be difficult to... Yeah, X, Y, Z. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be really difficult. And maybe they'll, by then it'll it'll be like OS X. Uh, yeah, they'll stop at X. OS and <laughs> start being named after landmarks in California. Yeah. You know, like Yosemite and yep. Mavericks and all that. Yeah, I mean, the Cats was cool in OS X, you know? I, I liked the Cats. I kind of felt they could have gone on a little longer with the yeah. cats, but hey. I like the naming game, and I just love, there's just so much, there's so many different elements of this, the, what does, what does the statue look like? Right. Um, you know, yeah. that's at Google, at, at Google <laughs> uh, HQ, uh, and then the graveyard that gets, you know, after a new release is announced, yeah. the, um, all of that, uh, it's, it's kind of cool, it adds to the whole, and I, I think people love to guess every year, so I hope they they keep up this um i mean it's whimsical and i think that's what google does well you know yes and obviously apple's done a bit of that too but i think google really does it well and, yes and android is kind of still a little nerdy because of all of that stuff especially you know this is a developer conference it's all about being nerdy and dorky right yeah. but there's so, a lot of that in the air at google io oh um, yeah the, the whole experience and the quirkiness of it all absolutely all right, let's see. What else do we have here? You want to talk about the Google Lens stuff we saw? Yes. Because that was pretty cool. So there was a lot of talk about AI. Right. Some of it was kind of like more pie in the sky or like, you know, we're like new, new cloud-based server um, architecture mm -hmm. and stuff for AI. Yep. I mean, stuff that doesn't impact us yep. directly. Yep. But there was also a lot of practical examples of some products that... Um, have benefited from uh, from Google's AI expertise. Mm -hmm. And they showed a new version of Google Lens, or at least maybe an upcoming version. I mean, mm -hmm. who knows? I think it's an upcoming I'm version. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's an upcoming version. And what, one? I mean, there were many little things they showed and I couldn't, I yeah. can't remember them all. But the one that struck for me was they, they took a photo or they were pointing at some text on paper. Like yeah, let's just say a menu. Yeah. Printed text, yeah. a menu. And... You could highlight the words. You could copy paste. And you can copy paste directly from the photo there was, as if it was text. I love the way they said it. You can copy and paste from the real world into the digital world. That's right. How crazy is that, right? Um, that definitely uh, was one of the highlights for me of that Google Lens. And just for those of you at home who don't know what Google Lens is, it's, it's basically being able to turn on your camera app mm -hmm. and, and point it at 
an object and and get answers. It's it's supposed to be uh, you know answering questions that you might have, right? So some of the other examples pointed at a breed of dog, it'll tell you what breed the dog is. Pointed at a building, it'll tell you what that building is. Give you information about that building. Um, and, and all these kind of stuff. Uh, but that was pretty cool, that copy-pasting feature. Yeah, that was, was really cool. impressive. And then they showed um, the ability to... I'm trying to think what, what else was part of that lens package. I don't think that was necessarily part of the lens package, but there was also the ability to turn documents you take photos of into PDFs. Right. That are actually like OCR PDFs, right. like real, like usable for something, not just like a, a black and white version of the photo, basically. And so. Google is really pushing Google Lens as an app. In fact, um, LG also sent me a follow-up email because yeah, it was announced on that stage too. today yeah, yeah. Um, that that dedicated home button that we were talking about, I mean, the dedicated Google Assistant button on the G7. If you hold it, right? If you, you double, double tap, double yes, tap right. it, it will launch Google Lens. Right. And I think more and more manufacturers will be coming out with some sort of physical hardware or easy trigger for Google Lens on their smartphones. I mean, Huawei has had the, the PDF up feature for the camera for a while now where you can take a photo of a business card or a document it automatically and it PDFies it basically it, it straightens it out and yep. it fixes a geometry so everything looks right and you can do that um, too on the um the notes app the on, notes. Yeah, yeah, that's on right. the I- iphone no on the iphone and the ipad oh i see i didn't yeah, know that i thought you were talking the about the, now. the i thought mm-hmm. you meant the galaxy note because i think it has a feature like that too yeah but I mean, you know, it's been around. It's just that now we're going to see this part of the suite of Google Apps. Right. Which, as we know, is going to work on any Android phone, not just a select few. So I think that's pretty awesome. I'm not sure if it was part of the the Lens uh, announcement, but um, they, they talked about uh, clothing match or style match, I think it was called. Or what? And I think yeah. it was about, I think, pointing to at fashion and getting matches based on your preferences and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, you can point a photo at like of, of a of an outfit and yeah. then, you know, it can give you some some uh some you know similar outfits in, in Yeah. And then I think it knows eventually stuff, it knows yeah. what you like and it can match you with clothes, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's yeah. a mad world we live in. Um other things maps. Spe- speaking exactly. Speaking of, of awesome, you know, camera based things, uh they showed us a new version of Google Maps where if uh you know normally you have the blue dot and on phones that support it, which is most flagships today, you have that like look the blue cone of doom, as yeah. I like to call it. It's it and it shows you it uses the magnetometer, which is the compass, to to kind of point the cone in the general angle direction. Or direction that you're supposed that you're to be going. walking. But if in. you don't understand the map or you don't know you're not familiar with the map, yeah. It, it, while it's showing you where you should where you're pointing on the map, you, how do you relate to that in real life? In real life. Right? And I love the example because and it is something that I do all the time, right? I walk like <laughs> 10 steps, see if my dot moves. And exactly, like and we all do that. We, don't we do that. all do that. Right. Especially when it's not in the car, but when we're walking, we all do like we walk in one yep. way. Oh, no, it's the other way. Right. And so what they showed is that if you hold up Google Maps, like... It's almost like AR mode, right? Yeah, you basically like you lift the phone towards you as if you were going to take a photo. And Google Maps kind of stays flat and the viewfinder kind of comes into, into, into view pardon the pun and you now have an ar view of the world and they will have and these arrows and it basically points you in the direction where you should be looking or going mm-hmm. and 
but going meaning looking because you're looking through the camera right. at an AR thing. And it's funny because it, this augmented reality, it's they were showing uh, uh, almost like restaurant listings yeah, and that so were they, floating yeah, they in can the add air, a, well, so layers of... So Layar, the app, L-A-Y-A-R, like five to six years ago, what did that? It was an etiquette app where you could just hold your phone and it will show you there's a Starbucks in that yep. direction. And and so this is kind of now built in, would be and built into And that's where it would Google make sense, where AR would really make Absolutely. sense. They were also toying with the idea of, I'm, I'm sure it's just a fun idea right now, but of uh, a virtual dog as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, like or a fox. Little, a fox or some creature that, that was like, follow the fox. Follow the fox. Yeah, follow the and fox. And so I, I, because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, a troublemaker, I immediately said, oh, like a Clippy in, in Microsoft. That's exactly who I was thinking, Paperclip, yeah? So it, yeah, yeah. It, could, it could go very wrong. It I could. hope it doesn't. But um, no, it's cool. And I think the, the other thing that uh, they mentioned, the kind of like the stuff that happens behind the scenes to make this work better than AR did back in the day and, and any uh, uh, AR uh, app that uses, superimposes over a map does, um, is that they use this new technology that in addition to the GPS, which is a global positioning yeah. system using satellites and cell phone triangulation, yeah. cell, cell tower and the Wi-Fi triangulation as well to locate you, um, the way they're locating you now with the camera is using something called VPS, which is Visual Position System. Mm -hmm. And what it does is that it knows what, by using the machine learning and analyzing the image in real time, it can determine what building you're looking at Right. Or what street corner, what street sign, like all the content of the image. So even if so that, you're in the, in this uh, this GPS trap of correct. buildings. So it has an idea where you are and it can use that as an additional positional system. And it's much more accurate because right. you can, you know, uh, most, most with cameras, especially dual cameras, you get depth perception and now, or the dual pixel camera on the Pixel 2. Uh, right. You can now actually not only can you recognize objects, but you can measure distances. And so now you can tell in with like down to like much, much higher accuracy where the person is. I think if they're willing to point the camera at something. That's my only problem is that it just doesn't feel natural to have your phone up because you want to be looking at where you're going. And so, but at the same time, but in this AR scenario, it would kick in. Right. You see what I'm saying? You would have to have these. It's not, yeah. it's not necessary to, I don't see a mode where you they ask you to take a photo. Yeah. I, I see a mode where the moment you, you do the, the gesture to kind of go into the AR version of Google right. Maps, boom, right. it, it actually helps you locate you even right. more accurately instantly. Right. Because and they did talk about real-time uh, in reference to Google Maps as well as to uh, Google Vision. Uh, all of these stuff is real-time. It doesn't have to. You don't have to send yeah, yeah. It's the all, photo to the it's cloud. It's all in the phone, yeah. which is kind of like the... The detection of music that yeah. the Pixel has, which is still uncannily good. Like, yeah. I'm, I've had my Pixel for over six months now, and I'm like, every time a song pops up in the notification tray of whatever's playing, like, in the background, barely audible, in yeah. the crowd, I'm like, how does it do it so well and so quickly and so accurately in all this noise? It's just amazing. All of these stuff, I think... Um, are they are they complete products yet? Maybe not. You know, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of, but I I am excited about you know being able to solve everyday problems and and the creative and innovative solutions that you know people have come, and I guess that I mean come up with, and that's why we're here at Google I/O, right? I mean, this is what this show is all about. It's a developer conference first and foremost. 
They give us the media a lot of access, which is awesome. But, you know, a lot of it, it's, it's not like very typically a place where you're going to see new hardware or yeah. some major announcements that have, you know, like a, a very clear deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't, I didn't put it in the show notes uh, in the topics that I sent you, but uh, they did launch one thing today that was real and available right away. And that was a new news app, mm-hmm. uh, Google News or whatever. It's, it feels like it's almost uh, the timing of it, right? In in this world of fake news, uh, their prior, they called it their way of of giving value to quality journalism. Yeah, I think they were trying to be nice to us. Yes. Because they were really courting us on that one. Yes. Um, but look, it's great because right now there's two apps on from Google for news. There's News and Weather mm-hmm. and there's uh, Google Play Newsstand. Mm-hmm. And Newsstand, the idea was more of a magazine-style stand. You you pick your subscription, like Flipboard, you pick subscriptions to different streams and, mm-hmm. and it surfaces them. And... Um, whereas news and weather just kind of self curates and also you know gives you weather. The news and weather app is old now, and the the newsstand is newer, but it's not as it's more personalized and not necessarily as you know it's not auto curated right. as well because it doesn't have access to all the same sources. So think of this as a mashup of the two and a new interface. And I think it was, is overdue because I have both on most of my phones. And I always ask myself, why do I have two news apps from the same company? Right. Like, well, you know. Part of me feels this is also a reaction to Facebook. Right. And all the, all the you know, uh, mixed the mixed bag that you get of news sources or quote unquote news sources when you when you are perusing your feed. At least this is, this is a place to go and... And the links are kind of like vouched for, right? Uh, great sources of of content, which is maybe something nice to have in this day and age. If you believe, you know, if you agree with their the way that they curate, yeah. And that, the, it, you know, we'll see how that pans out, right? Because yeah. you know, it's, Facebook has curated for us, and that was a bit of a disaster. So yeah. I'm hoping Google can do a better job. Yeah. But look, I think I'm I'm excited because it actually is a product that launched and is available now, and so, you know, as an aside, while it's a developer conference and usually a lot of stuff isn't announced to like now there, it's nice to have a few things like the Android P beta yeah. and, and like the news app and no hardware this time, but um, we knew that. I mean, IO hasn't been a hardware launch platform in for quite a while. Yeah. I think they're past that. I mean, the last time they launched a lot of hardware was the Pixel, the Nexus Q. Yeah. Remember the Nexus Q? Yep. I still have one. It's so cool. It's going to be a collectible in a few years. Hold uh, on to it. You know, so there was that in the the original Nexus this 7. This was not, this was way long yeah, ago. This is 2012 or 13 yeah. or something. Yeah. And so the point is that this this is not what Google I was about now. they I think for a while it became kind of like the big Google event of the year. Yeah. But it lost the, hey, this is a conference for developer aspect. I mean, I think it had it. But it was such a dog and pony show yeah. that we journalists lost track of all the other stuff that right. the stuff we just spent some time discussing, which really matters to developers. Right. And so they're back to that in the last few years. Well, I mean, even in this podcast, now you you were able to kind of dive in to explain some of the inner workings of this technology. But from but you can also the the be- what the the beauty of it for me is that the average person doesn't even have to think or or care about any of that because the practical applications but it's also nice for us to go in and appreciate all that you know all that technology and and i don't know how you want to describe it but all that smarts that goes into to making all of it happen for 
everyday users. And, you know, it's, it's, so what I like is that, you know, the keynotes and stuff kind of focus more on like the, what you, you know, the features, the new things that Google has brought to the table. And then, you know, if you go to the sessions and you stay for the, like the presentations on the main stage later in the day, they dive in deeper into as developers, how can you leverage all this new stuff we put in there? I was in one of these sessions where they introduced us to the quote-unquote heroes. Um, there were a couple of them. One that stood out to me was this girl um, who who had developed an app using uh, all some of that technology to uh, to detect whether a plant is sick or not. Oh, wow. And so you can point it in real time. It'll tell you the health of your plant based on... It was very complex, her explanation to me, but you know, ones and zeros and comparing it with, with records. But it, it was interesting because at first it was like, she was like, I first developed this for people like you who like to do gardening at home so you can see how your plant is doing right. and get attention if, if necessary. But then she was like, but I realized too that we I've added a whole bunch of crops now because people in developing countries, farmers that don't have resources or access, they can go in and also study the, the health of, of their crops. And right. I was like, this is, this and is there's cool. so many big problems that they can find solutions to that Google has nothing to do with, with but they just give you the platform. To, they give you the to, tools. Yeah, the it. tools. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of tools, one of the most exciting announcements for me as an ex-developer, I shouldn't say ex, I still develop for fun, but as an ex-professional developer mm -hmm. is that we now have Linux support in Chrome OS. And I think, you know, it sounds very nerdy and it, what does it really mean? And so I wanted to kind of like go over that really quickly yeah. with people. Um, so you have to remember, Chrome OS is based on Linux, right? right? That's the quickest way to make an OS today is to start with Linux. Android is based on Linux mm -hmm. and it's optimized for mobile and touch. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, Chrome OS is based on Linux, but it's optimized for desktop experience centered around a single web browser, right. in this case, Google Chrome. Um, so for a long time, that's what it was. And then in the last few years, we've seen the addition of support for Android apps on some devices. And, you know, why not? It, you know, Android does run on x86 architecture devices and on ARM, and so does Chrome, so it's a good fit. Um, it gives you a bit of native, um, you know, application support for the times you're not online on a Chromebook. And, you know, with relatively easy to, easy to manage security because you, you go through the App Store and with all of its security stuff. Um, the one thing that made Chrome OS so awesome in the early days uh, is that if you had an internet connection, you never had to worry about any kind of weird, you know, um, uh, you didn't have to worry about the security aspects of your device. Um, you'd get every now and then you'd see an icon pop up on your Chromebook that would say, hey, next time you restart, you know, I'll apply the update. Right. It, because it's, as most of them SSD based, they'd reboot in 10 seconds and you were updated. Right. So you never had to wait for installs and like on Windows or Mac OS, yeah. where it can take a while. Yeah. And so that made... Uh, Chrome OS extremely low maintenance, and you you can you know log out and give it to someone else. They can log in, and all their environment, the entire Google app suite is available right. to them, and all their settings and preferences and privacy and all that password and autofill and everything. So there's a lot of merits to that, but Chromebooks have become you know pretty awesome, and there's still a few things missing. And the biggest one, if you think about it, is 
if you are writing code for iOS, if you're a, Mac, a developer of, for iPhone and iPad, what do you do? You buy a Mac because Apple forces you to buy a Mac to use Xcode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's their prerogative. Why not? And the Mac is a nice platform. We both use Macs. Yep. We love them. And, and so all, all this time, we've been coding for Android using PCs, Windows, sometimes Linux, and sometimes Mac OS. But you could never do it on a Chromebook. Right. Yet the Chromebook is Linux. Right. And it didn't make sense. So it was only a matter of time as to how long is it going to be before Google lets you use their own tool, their own OS, their own desktop OS to be a developer for Android. And so Linux on, on Chrome OS facilitates that. It basically makes it possible for people to develop on a Chromebook. And, but they went beyond that. They decided, hey, why, why don't we let you code anything? Like, Lin Linux comes with a set of tools and a shell and a bunch of other stuff that lets you code right out of the box. And they had removed all that basically from Chrome OS for security right. and, 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 and ease of use reasons. But they put it basically back in and it's, send it's sandbox. So it's safe in terms of security. Right. And you can now play with that sandbox. And not only can you create uh, code for Android, but you can code for Linux, which means it'll run on a Chromebook. And you so technically, you can write a native app for Chromebook if you want right. to. Which is you can't publish it anywhere because there's no app store or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think Chrome OS is not really about apps anyway. Yeah. That's what the Android apps are for in Chrome. Like yeah. it's a little complex, but um, I think that it's still nice because, say you're you you know right now you want to uh, you you like your Chromebook because it's light and versatile because it can run Android apps or whatever, and you're traveling. You now and you're a developer. You always had to bring along a PC or a Mac in addition to the Chromebook, or decide to leave your Chromebook at home. At home, and right I now you can properly just use the Chromebook if you want to, and you can write some stuff in Linux. And then when you get home on your PC or Mac, you can continue. Right. Like you don't, you're not stuck anymore. Right. And I think that's a huge, it's, huge announcement. It's very interesting because when we first saw the Chromebooks, they were really meant either for the education space, has a really basic a computer at its most basic levels. And then now, as you can see, the Chromebook kind of like uh, really mature as a product. Uh, it is no longer just a, a device for, for, for play or for basic use, but... I now mean, for developing, I think, too. yeah, in the early days, I think the Chromebook was, you know, targeting three markets. It was targeting primarily education. It was also targeting business, like enterprises, where you want to reduce the cost of IT, and it radically reduces it because there's no maintenance. Right. Uh, and devices can be passed on from people to people without having to worry about losing any content or yep. anything. And then the third group that was never explicitly and you know kind of targeted, but we all knew was an easy target and obvious target was us. Right. Writers, bloggers, journalists, um, you know, people who spend most of the time in a CMS or web interface to write. Right. Um, and don't necessarily do uh, you know, need like heavy lifting in terms of app. They might need a bit of video editing and or a bit of Photoshop, photo editing, yeah. but they can do basic stuff in the on the web. And and honestly, for that's how I fell in love with the Chromebook mm -hmm. because um, I could create a this very distraction free environment that yeah. was very low maintenance, yeah. that was lightweight and affordable and cheap and mm -hmm. almost disposable because if 
I lost the thing. It didn't matter because they couldn't log in as me anyway. Right. And all my stuff was in the cloud. So who cares, right? Um, so that's kind of why I think we loved it as tech nerd, journalist, mm -hmm. blogger. But you as, whatever. A, as a developer. But as a developer, I always miss that other side. Yeah. So they've they brought that back in. And, um, you know, it's an interesting way of doing it. I haven't played with it, so I don't know exactly the nitty gritty detail on how they're implementing it. My biggest question, and I think Ron Amadeo um, of Ars Technica was, uh, uh, you know, we were talking today and, and he was like, I'm going to a session tomorrow. Do you have any, like, does anybody have any questions to, to, to about Linux, like technical question about Linux on Chrome OS? And I said, for me, the biggest question is how they're going to maintain this, this absolutely bulletproof security, security. and privacy, um, you know, uh, that they're doing with Chrome OS right now uh, once they open it up to you coding on Linux. And and I, I'm pretty sure sandboxing is the answer, but but I want to find out more technically how they're making that, that possible, right? And that's going to be actually interesting. They might be using virtual machines or whatever else to make it happen, but we'll see. The bottom line is if you are not a developer, you still should be excited because you can learn, you can now one day decide, I, I want to learn to code and you can do it from your Chromebook. From your Chromebook. And or you can say, I want to write my first Android app and you no longer have to find a Mac or Windows machine to right. do it. So for some people, Chrome OS is the only OS, it's the only machine because it's their cheap computers too. That's, yeah. So that's all maybe they can afford. Right. So I think it opens development to a whole new... Uh, demographic and the other thing is all those schools that spent money on chromebooks can now can teach now development that. right I boom think. that's a huge step right sounds sounds great so yeah um so that's can it we, for that yeah there's a couple of other interesting yeah. things uh let's talk about this this the google assistant call thing they call it um google duplex is what they call duplex it? yeah duplex so I was a little confused with the demos because the first one sounded pretty good to me. Yes. And the second one sounded pretty bad to me. And I couldn't quite figure out which side was the assistant. I think it was the one on the left. No, yes. But so but it, let's explain. So um so I, I actually I was like well, I'm glad glad I got a, I, I recorded the whole thing. So they were like, just think of a better sounding, more human like version of Google Assistant. By the way, we missed this, but Google Assistant will now come with five different voices, including oh, yeah. John Legend. I know. Believe it or not. Which is cool. Uh, which is cool. But um, the Google Assistant, uh, let's just say you asked Google Assistant to, to book a hairdresser appointment for you. And Google Assistant did sound, that was more, she sounded more natural, right? Yeah. But apparently they were, they were, they were saying this is a real call. They were like, this really happened. This is a real recording. And they were able to understand context. Uh, and and it was smart enough so that they could banter with the person on the other line. Yeah. And if that person was being finicky, they were still kind of able to, like, pick up those context clues and and proceed with booking that hairdresser appointment. Yeah. So the two examples where we see Google Assistant, this Google Duplex Assist an assistant like so they didn't get into the details, but the idea is I guess you would tell Google Assistant, you know, I'm not going to use a keyword because I don't want to trigger everybody, but you'd say your keyword and you'd say, please book me a hairdresser's appointment at you know Castro Hairdressers at 2 p.m. on Monday, yeah. and it would then place a call by itself in a human voice 
that's the voice of Google Assistant yeah. to the company that you just asked them to call and book the appointment verbally and interact with that with person. With that person on the and other end. they showed us the recordings of that. And the first one was booking hairdresser. And that went pretty well. Yes. The person, the human at the other end was good at their job, good. competent, and it went quickly and you could see how Google picked up and and it was very, very amazing. And, and there would be little things like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. so that you would, so that the person on the other end would have no idea that, idea it, was that it was speaking to a Which machine. brings up a whole ethical question, honestly. Yes. And I want to get into it right now, but let's talk about it in a second. The other thing, the second call though, the person at the other end was calling a Chinese restaurant. I think yeah, it was. and the person at the other end was had an accent and wasn't very good. Wasn't good at English. At, at English, and also clearly not as willing to spend the time and energy on that call. Right, like right. I wouldn't say they were incompetent, yes. but they were just not invested in yes. their job. Clearly. Um, and not paying attention to the information that we're given, but, given on terms of time and schedule and stuff. But the assistant or the, the duplex was very smart good. enough to handle that, that more complex, complex. situation. Yeah. So much so that he wasn't able to get a booking because at the end, she basically said, if you're just a party of four on a come. Tuesday, it's very... It's it, they're not a lot of people who can just come. Right. And but it was interesting that, you know, she made mistakes in repeating the dates and times that he asked for, but the assistant kind of like brought tried to bring her back on track. And was able to identify which these and yes. It was a pretty freaking amazing to be yes. honest with you. They did at they did these are the more of the successful ones. They yeah, did I'm admit sure that, that yeah. some of their trials didn't go so well. But I mean, this was one of my biggest complaint when personal assistance became a thing because I was like, I would really love to have an executive. Yeah, assistant, yeah, right? right. So if they could do more things for you than just give you what's on your schedule or remind you of it's something, it's pretty amazing. Yes. And and honestly, I think that it was almost uncanny valley because you're like, if I had known, I would have asked. I would have told me you at the end that the thinking it was a person, the person on the left, which was the duplex, the assistant would was the nicest most polite and most proficient person <laughs> yeah right yeah they were like you know very i mean that call with the giant restaurant that was a patient person yeah because that that customer person the, the, the restaurant person was well, not helpful really at all yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting and and uh yeah almost so, scary almost scary almost but scary. So, so that brings up that ethical issue it's like i think we're gonna get to a point where like Will will we, should we have a system in place where you have to disclose that you're an assistant calling versus a human? Right. And you know, first of all, does it matter? And secondly, if it does matter, should it become regulated in some way? I mean, I know we're far from that, but these are questions that Google has got to be asking themselves. Because if you look at, you know, I, I really don't believe that Silicon Valley does this a lot. And, and I mean like Silicon Valley, the industry, not the show. The show is awesome. <laughs> but I'm talking about there is this kind of disease in the valley where you ask for forgiveness, not permission. Right. And it was very exemplified by Uber. But, you know, yeah. Snapchat's done it. The, the, yeah. Recently, the little electric scooter um, re uh, rental places uh, that, you know, uh, companies that are available in, um, in San Francisco. What's it called? Um, there are uh, a lot of it in L.A., um uh, you know, there, there's three of them. I can never remember. Yes. Names. Bird. Bird. Bird is, is one, one of them. them. Exactly. I mean, the point is that they just deploy these things and then the 
city of San Francisco. I, I can't speak for what's happening in, in LA with it, but no. in San Francisco, it caused a lot of chaos. It's like trash. All it, of, yeah, yeah, it's called caused a lot of problems, and the city had to kind of find a way to regulate it, and they were put on the spot. And I hate that attitude. I think. On one hand, I understand the disruptive nature of Silicon Valley, but on the other hand, I feel like you know you have we have a responsibility as especially those of us who are working in tech and those of us who write about tech to kind of call them on this because right. it's like look, you know, you can't just disrupt stuff and randomly and not worry about what's going to happen. The, the you have to. You have a responsibility. Yeah. You have so much power right now. Yeah. So. With great power comes great responsibility. So I feel like there is an ethical question there. I'm not sure what side I'm on. Honestly, I, part of me says, "Well, what does it matter if the if the if you know the interaction goes well?" Right. I mean, humans are terrible. I've had customer service calls where I was a real bitch because yeah. I was so cranky about something. Yeah. And I'm sure that an assistant would be a much nicer experience for yes. the person at the other end. So yes. perhaps there is no ethical issue here. But at the same time, I feel like. You know, you're talking, you're a human, you're going to be talking to an assistant. And what if, and this is, we haven't talked about this yet. What if it's an assistant and at the other end, it's another, another assistant. assistant. And, you know, like, obviously it doesn't matter. They can deal, they can, they can handshake. But I was joking around today and I want to put this in the podcast because it's hilarious. I, I think it was, I was talking with uh, one of the folks from uh, Android, uh, Android Central or Mobile Nations. Same, you know, same, same, same thing. Yeah. But I think it was... Um, Andrew Martonic, I think. And we were nerding out. And I said, you know what would be amazing? Like, if it's two assistants, they start talking. And then, you know, like, they st they talk faster and faster. And all of a sudden, like, you start hearing the, the modem sound. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and they, they, they don't have to talk anymore. Like, they, yeah. they're like, you know, and yeah. two seconds later, the, the, the phone, the, the call hangs up. Because, yeah. it, you know, in computer speak, it took them two seconds to resolve the thing. Yeah. They don't have to use words anymore. Yeah. Like... I think that that would be so nerdy, but I mean, like, how is it going to work out? Like, it, to me, I think it would make much more sense if you're an assistant and you're calling a landline or like a cell phone line to a business or shop and the, there's an assistant there that somehow the two uh, have a little signal in the voice yeah. that tells each other hey that we're assistants why don't we like not Let's waste our time, time. Yeah. on Let's this call it. and talk over the internet really fast like you just handshake and right. boom we resolve this thing right because right? that's that makes a way more sense to me so because i'm a nerd I'm an, an, and a developer to me that's i'm sure there are a lot of issues there too I, I, I we would need more time to really Obviously, think this out and yeah. also use it and see uh, how we feel about it. But definitely think it's a conversation that needs to be um, had. Um, yeah. yeah. One last thing that we've got on the topics on um, on the sh on the notes. I'll put all by the way, all of these things we've discussed. Obviously, are going to be in show notes in great detail. So um, is. Um, Gmail Smart Compose. <laughs> and so the reason I got excited is, again, again, as a developer, if you code and you're in a command line, usually you can hit tab to autocomplete the command you're typing. Mm -hmm. It's contextual, but it works really well. It saves you from having to make spelling mistakes when you have to write code, right? And so Google being nerds as they are have basically come up with a thing in a future version of Gmail. And this is obviously the Gmail probably on Chrome OS or like on the web because it requires a tab button. Yeah. So any keyboard with a tab button with this version of Gmail, if you're composing a message, when you hit tab, it auto-completes the current sentence 
based on context, context. using AI. Yep. And it's uncannily the good the demo. It can, like straight, I was like, how do you crap. know what I was going to say? It is exactly how like did that. you know it? And sometimes it's so scary because we joke about this all the time. Like Google knows everything, right? Yeah. And I'm sure they do. Um, but this is kind of crazy. Uh, but I mean, this is all about life hacking, right? Right. It's. it's I mean, we have these shortcuts to autocomplete, you know, things that we fill up a lot, email addresses, your, our home yeah, address, yeah. Uh, uh, common phrases that we use for pleasantries in an email, you know, we can just add these, whether yeah. on your smartphone, on your computer. But this is a whole new level because this is... Contextual. contextual. Like it's looking at the email thread before it that, that you're replying to, all in context of it and kind of figures it out. And, you know, I love that it's like a, a little um, nod to the tab autocomplete in programming, but it, it's, it's kind of cool because we are all familiar with autocomplete on a keyboard and yes. we all use it quite a bit. But this is like kind of like that version on steroids uh, with context and... You know, half the time, you know, you can obviously delete and continue like yes, it'll, it'll basically thing, what it'll do. But it'll, it'll show you in gray beforehand gray, yeah. what it's about what to it's autocomplete. Thinking, yes, it's kind of amazing. That kind of blew my mind. Honestly. Well, you know, as writers, of course, uh, this is not going to help scary. with our writing. <laughs> yeah. But for I don't like emails, and for and I it, hate writing emails. It's fast. And It'll so fast, this is fast. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about autocomplete on a keyboard. Yeah. It's, I've been so spoiled sometimes that when I'm not using one of those autocomplete keyboards, I always, I, my mind can't kind of make sense. Why is it taking, why is it so difficult to text all of a sudden? Because you're, you're so reliant on this autocomplete keyboard. I know, I know. Just imagine what emails, <laughs> writing emails are going to be like. Uh, I and I, it's, it's a product that it's already rolling out. Um, oh, so not, it is rolling out. Yes, with it, it's rolling out with the new Gmail. Okay. Uh, users, you might not see it yet, but it's appearing in the next few weeks. So I think it's going to be really interesting yeah. because honestly, um, Google already has all the information. You can complain all you want. This is already in there. Yeah. It's just this is taking that information and giving you, the user, some value. Um, I'm wondering how many bad I, uh, maybe I shouldn't say bad, but how many lazy journalists are going to use this feature to compose stories uh, in their email client <laughs> and have it all complete stuff? <laughs> Let's see what we happens. We can see. Yeah, we we'll can see. Yeah, it would be nice to try to write an article using uh, <laughs> it would be fun. The, the feature, by the way, is called Smart Compose. Smart Compose, yeah. that's it, yeah. Um, all right, well, listen, I think we've we've talked about pretty much everything that was at least announced on day one of I.O. Yeah. There might be more tomorrow, but I want you to tell people where they can find you online. Like, you know, tell them about your Twitter handle and all that good stuff. Well, my personal Twitter handle is Michael Josh, uh -huh. just my name. Same thing for Instagram. Easy. But of course, I'd love for you to go check out GadgetMatch.com, GadgetMatch on YouTube. <laughs> And Gadget Match on Instagram. Yeah, there you go. I mean, you you guys are one of the premier Asia-based uh, yes, we're trying blogs. we're trying to to cover global, but give you an Asian perspective. Yeah, um, and I think that's very important. There's a lot happening out of Asia, and we try to. Oh, it's awesome! It. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know where you know where to find me, folks. Uh, I'm uh, at Tankerl T N K J R L on Twitter. That's like the comic book character without the vowels. And, you know, you can find me on Instagram on the same handle. You can find me on YouTube as uh, youtube.com slash Miriam Joar. That's my full name spelled out, Miriam with a Y. Um, 
My YouTube channel is really a complement to this podcast. So if you want to see what a G7 looks like, you want to get, uh, you know, an idea of what like uh, what my hands on with the G7 was, that's where you'll find it. Um, and so the other thing I want to point out is, you know, mobiletechpodcast.com is the URL for the podcast. Please subscribe, tell your friends, share the news. I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible is probably the best at this point uh, platform for uh, for audiobooks. And if you love books and you don't have time to read them in your life and you need to listen to them, this is the place to go. Um, you know, lately I've been binging on uh, old William Gibson novels. Uh, prior to that, I did the latest Star Wars, which is an 11 hour long audiobook, which is insane. Um, but you're an audible. I'm an audible user. user. Sometimes I, I think as sometimes as my attention uh, gets harder and harder to focus, I've I've found it difficult to read a book sometimes, uh, and so you know for my long commutes, I sometimes just choose to get the audible version of a book so that it can be read to me, and then I find that's an easier way for me to finish a book than than having to strain the eyes and and read. Yeah, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes as usual. If you click on that link, you're not going to get a special deal or anything, but you will support the podcast, which I think is very important. And so the link is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. Please go support Audible, the best audiobook platform on the web. So stay tuned for more. I'll definitely have a guest next week, but there might be another second podcast this week. So Fingers stay crossed. tuned. Yeah, thanks so much, Josh. Thanks so much on. for having me. I Michael had a great time. And Michael Josh. Michael and Michael it's Josh. All of the above. The same person. Yep. Um, come back soon. Mm-hmm. And let's enjoy the rest of IO, huh? Indeed. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.